Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, the queen is definitely watching the crown. Princess Diana is played by Margot Robbie in season three. And Claire Foy is our imaginary BFF. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Beaver Talk. Did you like what I did there? Well, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> Baby talk. Hi, Diane. Oh, God, now the accent has slipped away. Is that your best British accent, or well, what are you doing Sometimes when I do a British accent, it slips into other accents. It's very hard to hold on to. <laughs> so we won't expect to see you in season three of The Crown. No, I guess not. No, no, no. How you doing, co-host? Good, how are you? Doing well. I feel like uh, we kind of had a lot of titles to sift through for this episode of what we wanted to focus on and what we wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And today we landed on The Crown. I know I'm a little nervous because we've never done like a television. What is this? (laughs) What is that accent? You got to commit. Anyone know? No one knows. Everyone knows. Um, But we've never done a TV season before. We've we've dissected movies. We've talked about television, but we never really like looked at a big uh, piece of media in this in this way. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I feel <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter to you. I feel like well, when I, you when you brought up you it was your suggestion to the do the crown and I was like I I'm into it but I'm I am nervous. I don't think of the crown as TV, I think of it as a movie. Yeah, I mean this hot this, take. Yeah, I mean the second <laughs> season definitely thought it was a movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it did. I think that so it's had two seasons. I binge watched the second season over Christmas with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the first season, to be honest, I didn't even remember it. Okay. I don't remember when I watched it. I didn't remember what happened in it. And when I watched, like, at the beginning of season two, they did the whole, like, season one recap. Uh-huh. It was like that last time on The Crown. And I didn't remember a single thing that happened. And I was like, oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I just got over it really quickly. It didn't really, it didn't resonate with me. I think season one resonated more with me than season two because season one is all about her having to step into this role of being the leader while she's mourning her father's death and having to decide to choose the country over her personal self and I thought that I found that to be very interesting yeah and the strength of this young woman as she's portraying it and, and navigating it and you know, that's the season where her husband wants her to take her last name. And, you know, she has to say, no, I'm I'm the highest ruler in the land. And, you know, and she's counseled and it's a big thing. With the, I, I really liked season one. I, I found it to be um, super interesting, super dynamic. And they season two is such a it's a whole nother narrative. It, it almost feels like a s- separate show to me. Mm. And I know that they are intentionally kind of doing this season by season um, where they're really kind of diving into different eras of the queen. So I think it was obviously very intentional. Yeah, the first season has um, a very clear arc. You know, she is, finds her at the beginning of um, her marriage with Philip, and then her father passes away and she becomes queen. 
Um, and I loved all the beautiful filming while they were in Africa. And yeah, she does this so like warm. tour where she visits the the colonies, and oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they have all the animals and all the giraffes. It's shot in a stunning. It's shot like a movie for sure. It really, it's so cinematic. And then when she, you know, it becomes clear that she has to now step into this role, it's almost like all the warmth drains from the color palette, and yeah. it just is like duty obligation. And just a huge stepping up. Well, I felt like season two was all about her marriage. And even their, the beginning first episode where they're having this conversation. And you're kind of like, you're dropped in. Is it a cold open? I don't remember. Yeah. Where they're on the boat. They're n- negotiating their marriage. And then you don't find out until like three episodes later kind of how they came to be there. Which I found was very jarring. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really get that we were in a... A flashback per se I was just kind of like where are we at um which is interesting because like spoiler alert then they cap they end the season kind of with another con- conversation about their marriage um which we can get into but this se- this season you know what it felt like for me and I know we mentioned that it's like one long movie um it felt very mad men yeah did you f- did you vibe off of that I don't think it was as tight as mad men it didn't feel there were a lot of wasted episodes in season two, in my opinion, and it did the writing did not feel as intentional to me as Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing that was kind of confusing is like is the format of doing you know twelve episodes or however many episodes there were. You know, they're very long, but having them kind of there is this slow pace that like we're building to something. Mm-hmm. But then in the middle we have like Princess Margaret's thing. And that, that was the, one of the episodes and like Philip's story where it's like, Oh no, these are start to finish episodes inside mm-hmm. of this other narrative that's the happening. Character studies. Yeah. Which I found to be like a little bit, I wasn't sure what we were going to get every episode, which I thought as a viewer was kind of hard to let like sink into. Yeah. I, so season two is all, it drops us right in the middle of, uh, the 1950s with the Suez crisis and um, Prince Philip kind of being this <laughs> playboy bachelor with a, not being married to the most important woman in the world. <laughs> and um, it examines their marriage and it looks at um, kind of all the moving pieces as they navigate modernizing the institution that is the monarchy mm-hmm. while still maintaining their very rigid traditional structure that is obviously what they're all about. Um, so it's interesting to see uh, Queen Elizabeth, who's played by Claire Foy, um, and Matt Smith, who's played by Prince, or Prince Philip, who's played by Matt Smith, kind of um, navigate this world that he doesn't want to be a part of, mm-hmm. and she has to be a part of. Right. Um, and I think that the show is interesting because... Well, I don't know if he doesn't want to be a part of it. More so he doesn't than want he the responsibility does, He doesn't know it. where his place is. Yeah. I think that is his big character arc struggle is like here he is he's supposed to have some kind of power he's married to the queen for fuck's sake he uses that power we see that in scenes but then in other times he's almost like looked over and laughed like he's seen as kind of like this pawn or this trophy wife if you will he doesn't actually have power and I feel like his big struggle is like where do I because he is such an outgoing and the public figure and they say like send him to the Olympics give him let him shine um, they don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, like there's the scene where he talks about, he expresses in like a fight that he has with Elizabeth that he's outranked by their eight-year-old son, who's, mm-hmm. of course, Prince Charles. Um, and I think that, you know, this this season is very soap opera-y. Uh-huh. It's very cheesy at times. The stuff with JFK and Jacqueline Kennedy is really cheesy and kind of gaggable. 
in my opinion. <laughs> um, I'm not like a J. Like my brother is like people like are really into them and I am not. So I thought it was kind of interesting to kind of see, okay, well, where were we at as a country during this time? I thought it was kind of, you know, we have this kind of like, you know, Jackie is seen as like this movie star. And, it, and, and it's interesting to watch Queen Elizabeth kind of see her place in the media on the mainstream stage and kind of be thinking about her brand a little bit. I kind of, I thought it was interesting um, kind of having that dynamic of like, here are these Americans. They don't have the same tradition. They don't even use the right language when they walk through the door. Um, yeah, I don't know. And yet they have the likability and they have the love of the world, whereas that's something that Queen Elizabeth, we see her struggling to maintain and Always. struggling to really land with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of watched this season, like I'm not a big supporter of the monarchy. I think it's a big outmoded institution that I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not really rooting for anyone. Mm-hmm. And that's a criticism I would say of this season is like, I love Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth. I think mm-hmm. that the portrayal is really, really layered and thoughtful. Yeah. And you're beautiful. not rooting. You don't feel like you're rooting for her? I guess because I know that she does it. She's, she's the longest reigning monarch ever. Hmm. And I guess it's like that kind of knowing that she comes through it and that she maintains this whole institution basically by learning and making mistakes along the way. It's like, I I don't care. Hmm. Um, and I don't find Margaret to be particularly engaging. I just kind of feel like by the end of the season, everyone's played out. Wow, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely, I, I thought this season was hard for different reasons. Um, I thought emotionally it was really hard to watch her relationship with Philip. Yes. And it was really hard for them. They're, they have this conversation about being married for 10 years and how, you know, the first 10 years are really hard. And that they're allowing them to be in these spaces where, like, he's essentially cheating on her. I, it, it reminded me a lot of like when I started tuning out of Mad Men because I was like, I cannot watch all these men. And we see it with Princess Margaret as well, like cheat on their spouse. Like it's horrible. Um, I didn't, I don't like that dynamic. It's not something like I want to spend time with or around and it makes me uncomfortable for whatever reason. And um, I don't know. So that, it felt so heavy to me. And then at the end when they kind of were showing, I think their intention was like, we're you know, giving character Philip these character spaces where, you know, showing his terrible childhood and like blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, he's supposed to kind of be the savior of the season by saying like, hey, like, I want you to care about me and our relationship. And then I'm cheating on you. Like, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is their big. I was like, this does not save this traumatic season that uh, we have now, you know, had to watch. That was really hard. Yeah, I think that the that last conversation they have where he's saying, you know, don't you just think that despite all of what we're doing in the public, that that when it comes down to it, we really want what's best for you. And she just looks back at him. She's like, if only, like if only any of you had my back, Mm. she just, the thing that I really love about this season is it shows the crushing weight of responsibility that she bears Mm -hmm. without really having any kind of power or support as you said no support yeah and no nobody really sees her nobody really stops her any any point to just be like hey you know i see what you're doing it sounds so silly because we're talking about the queen Mm -hmm. but nobody stops to tell this woman well it's kind of like being a ceo CEO. you have nobody ahead of you and so it's up to you to kind of far removed than being a ceo i would argue you're born into this 
no, you no. live in a palace. But I'm saying to the point of like, you don't have a boss. Like there's nobody who's coming down from like her parents are not like courting her in that way or mentoring her in that way. Like she is the only one. Yeah. You're the only one when you occupy that space who can, you know, make decisions or there's there's nothing above you is what I'm saying. Yeah. And just her meeting with all the prime ministers. I think she goes through three of them in that this season. That was a note that I wrote down is like, Wow. Oh, she asks for time off because she's pregnant with her third child and she asks for time off. She asks for the prime minister to just kind of handle things while she's gone. Mm-hmm. He has a medical crisis and decides that he needs to resign as prime minister, effectively bringing her back to Buckingham Palace and back to her role. Um, and there's this great scene between them where she says she basically calls him a quitter mm-hmm. and she says, you couldn't like even hold space for me long enough to have this baby. And here I am doing all of this for you Mm -hmm. and getting no respect and getting no validation. And basically it's the most thankless position. Well, I love that she was talking about like, first one of you is too old. Then one of you like can't figure out their politics. Then one of you gets sick. Like I've had three, you know, prime ministers and whatever, like however scope it is. And she's like, you guys need to get it together And I think that's one of my favorite parts of the show is that she has such a quiet leadership style, but she doesn't let you fucking get away with anything. And when the time is right and when the moment is in that space, she's so confrontational. And I live for those scenes where she's like, yes, step into my goddamn palace and let me tell you what is what. And she just gives it to these old men and it is, you know, great. Yeah, far more than the conversation with Philip at the end of the season, which I think is meant to be this weird payoff. That was the payoff for me of her having the meeting with the prime minister and just being like, bye, I'll do it myself because that's all I've ever done. Yeah, her scenes with Philip are so hard. And it's interesting that she chooses to step into her power in her role as queen, but not in her role as, you know, in her marriage. And even when she finds, like at one point she finds this little photo of the dancer that Philip, I guess, is having an affair with, allegedly or whatever. Um, and she she has the, you know, power to go to the actual theater and stare at this woman in the face, which was incredible, but she can't bring it up to her husband. And that was like, oh, there's such a disconnect here. And I think, you know, I guess that's what's making her a complicated character. But I think, you know, I don't know. The fact that they leaned so heavily on this marriage being the payoff for this season was not there for me. And maybe, you know, maybe it's coming in the next season. I don't know. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go for season three, because the payoff could have easily been seen as like her kind of figuring out her relationship with Philip. But I Mm -hmm. think for people paying attention, there's a bigger thing at play there. Um, her stepping up to the prime minister being one of the moments, her stepping up and being supportive of her sister being one of the moments. Um, and her just, her taking on all of the criticisms that uh, the newspaper editor leveled at her. I loved that And implementing that too. all of them. Of course. I loved that. When he came into the office and he thought he was meeting with whoever and then she's fucking in the room. Oh. I was like, yes. Because oh. like, that is why I live for the show. She's so confrontational. She's like, Yes. Come in this thing. I'm going to sit in this guy's office and you're going to talk to me. You have yeah. a problem with me? You're going to tell me directly. Oh, and her I uncle just thinking that he can come back from Paris after <sighs> basically being um, an ally to Hitler and the Nazis. And she just says to him flat out, you know, I don't forgive you. But more importantly, I don't know how you're going to forgive yourself. And there's no fucking way you're coming back to Buckingham Palace. Bye. Yeah. 
I mean, I love it. Yeah. And Claire Foy is so effective at really, she changes her whole body when she has those scenes and yes, she really, she does. Um, you, you know, you can go through a few episodes like not, <laughs> if you didn't, if somebody didn't know that was supposed to be Queen Elizabeth on screen, you'd almost not know because mm-hmm. there are a few scenes that are just so subtle and so low key that it can be easily overlooked. But then she has these scenes where she really gets to embody the monarch and she really gets to be that for the audience. Well, it's so interesting because she really does, to your point of like the physical, like even in the scenes with Jackie, when they have that lunch and she's like, and now I'm the queen. Like her whole body, you can feel the like control of it all um, is very mesmerizing. She's a great actress. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Also, I didn't know that the, that, Season three, we're going to lose the cast. When I I was doing this research for coming here today and talking to you, I was dead. At first I Googled, I was like, crown season three, see if we could get like any information or info for people. And it was like, who's going to play Prince Philip? Who's going to play Prince? I was like, everybody's leaving. (laughs) What is this? Yeah, they're fast forwarding. And um, Olivia Coleman from Brad Church and Murder on the Orient Express is going to play Queen Elizabeth, which is a great cast. She's a great actress. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. And there's a rumor that Helena Bonham Carter, Helena Bonham Carter, is going to play Princess Margaret, which I think is fabulous. Yeah, agreed. Because that woman would totally go into like this eccentric, insane life because she was already kind of going in that direction. Is that where Princess Margaret is the space we're going to occupy for her? You know, I don't know a lot about Princess Margaret. It was fun to talk. It was really fun to watch this show with my mom because being Canadian. I think we just know a lot. And I know that sounds really stupid. Tell us about the monarchy. <laughs> Tell us about the Commonwealth. Um, I don't know. My my background is a lot of my ancestors are from England. And so I just, I think I feel like I picked up a lot of knowledge about these people over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching with my mom, it was so funny because I was like, what are they going to do? What happens here? And my mom was like, well, they get divorced. And I was like, how do you know that? And she's like, because we're talking about real people. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> She's yeah, laying it down can't, for like, you. Tell me, and then I was like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen with this prime minister? Like, he's getting sick." And she's like, "He resigned." And I was like, <laughs> "Mom, you need to stop." Spoiler alert! Spoiling the stuff that happened in the '60s. I love it. And she's like, "Do you know what happens to JFK? Like, do you know what's going on?" And I'm like, "So it was really fun watching with my mom because she knew." Yeah, tell us as a Canadian how you feel about England. I mean, I love England. <laughs> no, I know, but just in general, it's I mean, an interesting perspective. I am not big on the monarchy. Just can't. How does Canada feel? I guess you speak for your people. I'm just going to embody a beaver because that really is. Yep, go for it. That really is what we are. I up will there. be the eagle in front of you or the turkey, <laughs> which Thomas Jefferson wanted to, our national bird to be. A turkey? I mean, that makes sense. They're kind of. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're eating many bald eagles these very days. Regal, but um, so yes. So our, I mean, our relationship to England is Do you that have she's the a queen figurehead. On your money. Yes, she's a figurehead. She's all around you. She has no power. The, she's represented by the governor general in Canada, who's an astronaut. That's cool. Um, she's a badass. Anyways, she's represented by the government, the governor general in Canada. She doesn't hold any power. She doesn't hold any. You know, mm-hmm, she can't mm-hmm. impact elections she can't say what happens in our laws she can't hold any kind of governance over our country Mm -hmm. um but we're just kind of kept in the little cozy tight family that is the commonwealth interesting do you like learn about her in history and stuff yeah yeah you learn about so she's around 
she's around. She's sure. ever present. It's really funny because when the queen was young, she looked like my grandma when she was young, mm-hmm. my mother's mom. And then when, as Queen Elizabeth is now, she looks like my father's mom. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, I've always thought that. So you just think you're related? Is that I mean, where we're going? I think I'm royalty is essentially what I'm saying. Excellent. Um, But yeah, I'm not... I think that that was something I struggled with and got a little bit bored with this season. Is I'm just not rooting for anyone because I don't think they're being... Because you want to be emancipated as a nation. <laughs> I'm so tired of the Commonwealth. I just want to be free. Um, Throw some tea over a vote. <laughs> Call it a day. Call it a day. I'm over it. Um, although now you Americans are marrying back into the British royal family. Oh, yeah. Which is exciting. Benjamin Franklin is rolling in his grave. And I'm into it. Uh, you're into it yeah what do you feel about these people i feel I bad have, calling them these people i don't have any opinion <laughs> i think because we're so separate from it it's like it's fun like it, it's it seems like historic and it seems like important and it seems interesting but it's no it has have never been any part of our like whatever so i think it's like kind of a joy from afar yeah and like we don't have any do you know what i mean it's yeah. not personal in any capacity and i think yeah that's it Full story. Yeah. Russell Brand had a really interesting interview with Ellen DeGeneres about uh, William and Kate because he was like, if, if you were like British when that marriage was happening, you got asked about it. It was like a no fail system of like, if you were just British, people had to ask you about it. Mm-hmm. And Ellen DeGeneres was like, are you excited for the royal wedding? And he's like, no, I'm not. I don't agree with this. I don't. And at that point, he had... Um, a column for the guardian and he wrote like a big thing against the monarchy. And it was just Mm -hmm. like Russell Brand carrying a torch and just being like, so anarchist. It was really fun. That makes sense. Yeah. But aren't you obsessed with princess Diana? She is one of my favorite people, but she doesn't like the monarchy. So that's a big, Oh, okay. So you're still in alignment with. Yeah. I, I think princess Diana is, um, just the grace, the embodiment of like grace under pressure and mm-hmm. carrying yourself through the world with kindness. I feel like we were compassion. so young though when she died. How, do, how did you deep dive on her? I deep dove on her because all my life everyone was like, Are you named after Princess Diana? So oh, okay. just by virtue of sharing the You're name, like, I better I was know like, who, who this is woman this is. person. <laughs> um, you had to get the beanie baby. I had to get the beanie baby. Oh my God. I think it's worth like 10K at this point. We've definitely Googled it before. Yeah, we have. We have Beanie Baby Empires. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I started watching all the documentaries about her. I started watching um, the movie about her. There was a movie made with Naomi. What's her last name? Watts Campbell. Yeah, Naomi Watts. Thank you. <laughs> Naomi Campbell is Princess Diana. <laughs> you know where my casting brain yeah. is. Um, that was interesting. It was an interesting depiction of her. Um, but she's just a really, really interesting person. And what happened to her was really interesting. Mm-hmm, for um, sure. Kind of getting thrown into this meat grinder machine and trying to come out the other side with some kind of dignity and, um, and life again. Well, I mean, I think that's why I like seeing, um, Queen Elizabeth kind of go through like the ebbs and trials of like this, this role that was kind of forced upon her. And even with her relationship with her um, sister, Princess Margaret, it's like, she's so clearly meant to be the star and she's so clearly meant to embody like 
the social aspect and, you know, a little bit of glamour and a little bit of um, intrigue and controversy. Like she wants to step into that role. You can tell she's, you know, definitely the extrovert of the family. Um, and it is interesting to kind of watch Elizabeth try to navigate like who she is and even being able to like own her power or, you know, have to tell her sister, like, listen, you can't get married. You know, this is the way things are. It's it would be so much you could tell it would be so much easier for Margaret if if their roles were reversed. Absolutely. And I think that that's something I love that that could really be an imposter syndrome moment for Elizabeth. And she doesn't really buy into it. Mm -hmm. She's aware of it. And she's like, oh, yeah, Margaret would thrive in this position, like put a crown on her head and call it a day. Yeah. She's like, it landed on my head. And that's just how the cookie crumbles. And we have to move forward intentionally. Well, I also wonder as they're being raised, you know, she is the firstborn. And so I bet their education is different. And I bet she was from a very young age told like, you know, this is your role. This is your role. Do it for your country. You know, there is such a um, encouragement, I'm sure, from the very beginning that it is her and it is her responsibility. If it ever were to have happened. Yeah. And I love, you know, I wouldn't call the way that they're portraying Queen Elizabeth in the crown. I wouldn't call it a reluctant leader because she doesn't step into it reluctantly. She's very much like, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Um, But it did remind me, I watched The Post, uh, which is the story of Catherine Graham. And she kind of goes through the same thing of having to step up Mm -hmm. and um, embody the leadership that really nobody believes that you can embody. And that's something they really get into. And season one of The Crown is Winston Churchill just Mm -hmm. being like, are we serious with this small child that's running the country now? Mm -hmm. Um, And her, you know, her uncle is calling her Shirley Temple. And like, it's just, it's awful the way that they are talking about her and seeing her. And the post kind of reminded me that of that as well. There's a whole bunch of board members who flat out say she's incapable and unfit to run the company Mm. in front of her. And I love that these moments are being portrayed on screen. I love that, you know, for women, for, you know, we, for all of us, we've, we felt those and we've definitely had those moments where we wanted to step up into a leadership position and maybe couldn't mm-hmm. because we weren't supported or yeah. we had to step up into a leadership position and kind of figure our way out um, after we got there. But I like that these stories are starting to be told in that way. You know, totally. the, the story of the the story of Queen Elizabeth could be told as kind of this like stoic monarch who's like, you know, put your head down and keep going. And that's not the way they're taking it. And I, I really love that. Yeah, absolutely. Just reminded me of when I used to do film festivals and people, you know, you'd be like looking for your team. So it'd be like a group of people and everyone would kind of be there to collaborate or like meet people or if you wanted to be part of it. And every single person would come up to me and be like, are you the actress? Yeah. Every single time. And it was really funny. One event, I took my dad because I didn't know anybody there and I was still living at home. And I was like, come to this event with me or whatever. And they were like, they everyone thought he was a director, <laughs> which is hysterical because my dad's like not a director. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, they were like, oh, are you like the actress? Like, are you here to be on our team? And I was like, no, I'm going to run my own fucking team and I'm going to crush all of you. Yeah. I think that there's this, this assumption, especially held by men. Mm-hmm. Um, that all of this stuff, you know, nobody's actually saying that to you or nobody's, you know, you're, you're just kind of feeling that nobody's actually doing that to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. The things that, you know, women People are told to their you. face yeah. every day <laughs> is kind of incredible. And I mean, and it, it happens in the post where I, there's this one scene where he's like, you know, people aren't comfortable with you running the company because mm-hmm. you're a woman and you were never supposed to have it in the first place. So mm-hmm. 
there are a lot of people who actually question whether or not you're fit to run this company. And I mean, he just says this to her. And, and we see that in The Crown as well, where people are just like, really, little girl? Like, you're, you're going to take this on? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, because I have to. And yeah, because I can. And I think that's what's really cool is watching her kind of thrive in this spaces. And I do like that in the first two seasons, they had Claire Foy embody her as a young woman, because I think there's also something to that of like the age of thinking, as you said, like the Shirley Temple and, you know, thinking that she wasn't going to be able to handle it. Because I think I think that's one of the big struggles of being like in a corporate space as a young woman is people just have so many like bananas, crazy, like small expectations for you that if you're a young woman who's super ambitious it's really really hard to break through that mold I remember like when I started out um, working in advertising and like being at these companies as like a 22 year old who like wanted could have ran a team of 10 people like let's just be honest my personality is so obnoxious like I could have that's like what I should be doing all the time yeah Um, and having these people look at me and just be like little girl like what like keep it to yourself you know it's just it's so frustrating Mm mm-hmm And I love that we're seeing it like on this crazy big global scale where she's not only having to deal with the pressure of that, but also like the media and like how people are portraying her. And like, you know, there's the one scene where she writes that horrible speech. Yeah. And she reads that speech that she didn't really review and whatever. And like, well, she's not writing her speeches. That's where the problem comes in. Mm -hmm. She's trusting all of these men to put words in her mouth. Yep. Oh, that was a really interesting scene of like, you know, who's curating your brand and how are you moving the country forward while like respecting the tradition? There's so many different dynamics. Yeah, there's all these men who are interested in keeping things the way they are. Yeah, that having... one man. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> who just like slides in and Ugh. is like, let me and let me put all of our barricades of like tradition around this and not let anything. Yeah, it's because not. Because that's not, because that's really going to work in 60s London. Right. <laughs> like... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's really um, I really love that this is starting to be more of a conversation in film. And we're starting to see it happen for women who are because we're also allowed to be reluctant about leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's kind of this thing that we're all supposed to step into these roles and we're all supposed to just do it. And it's like, well, where where is my support when I get there or Mm where is my support to get me there? Yeah. And I think as we see. You know, you you have to do it for yourself at the end of the day. You have to um, dig deep and trust your, trust your gut and go for what you really dream of. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to see women do it for ourselves. Totally. Also, this is kind of not related, but, you know, as we, I think it's interesting that, like, you know how you have those moments when you're, like, you're being underestimated and, like, you feel it instinctually. And like when you talk to other women or you talk to other men, like everyone gives you credit for understanding and they go, oh, yeah, like we see you could totally interpret like a thought or a, you know, a look or a glance. Like we trust women intuitively to be able to dissect and understand those messages. But when it comes to actual physical assault, we're always like, oh, that was probably you probably misinterpreted the situation. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden, when it comes to like trusting our bodies and what happens to us physically, it becomes a different conversation, which is something that, you know, as we're kind of hearing all about the Me Too and Time's Up, it's something that I've been thinking about is like, why do we have such a disconnect between trusting women in one area, but then totally believing they don't have 
you know, uh, liberty and understanding of how their bodies are working or what they're feeling in their bodies. <laughs> that's a really <laughs> that's a really interesting because what's the there is no difference and if you well, feel one of them is criminal and one of them is not yeah i mean that's totally true there are definitely consequences but it is interesting or should be, or should be yeah <laughs> but it like truly it's like we understand that women can, are smart enough to understand when a look or a glance or a th- we can you know feel that intuitively but we don't trust them when it comes to like owning their physical um, presence and how it feels in their body when these things happen, which I think is really fascinating. Then we that goes into the narrative. Well, what were you wearing? What did you do? Yeah. And what did you say? And you know, where were you? And were you drunk? And blah blah blah. It's like we just we we don't trust women physically to own their identities and their bodies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of keep being blown away by this. I. Haven't really thought about it that in that way for for where we are at now with Me Too and Time's Up and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of zero tolerance policy with taking bullshit in like a boardroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like I had a conversation with one of my friends over Christmas and he's like, oh, I get so angry when women apologize at work. Like I hate when they apologize for like stuff that, that is not their fault. Mm-hmm. Like they just live such a so apologetically. And I was like, well, being mad about that is not really the correct response. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing to empower her so that she doesn't feel the need to apologize? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to be an ally to her yeah. so that she feels that she can own that space and be in that totally. room unapologetically? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's just, yeah, that's just a side note for me of something that I was thinking about while I was watching these two pieces of media, the post and the crown. Um is like what what can men be doing as well Mm. and that's something i think it's interesting if time's up is going to bring men into the conversation well hopefully we'll see with the golden globes um you know people are supposed to be wearing black in solidarity yeah and there's been some how do you feel about that i'm into it let's do it and i hope men are you know stepping up and being part of it as well i think that's i think what i'm interested in is hearing more from men mm-hmm. at this point because women have had the courage to share their stories but mm-hmm. we haven't really men haven't had the courage to support and show solidarity and yeah. i'm really ready for them to not dictate or lead the conversations but be willing participants in the listening part and in the learning part and in the understanding that like hey we were a part of this in some capacity yeah listening 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 is yeah the only thing it's it's essential mm-hmm. for men to come into this conversation and when men i've had a lot of conversations with men over the past year especially like when wonder woman came out and just with all of this stuff happening with me too um a lot of men have been reaching out to w- ask what they can do to be allies and what they can do to support which is lovely i feel very lucky that so many men in my life are wanting to be in that space with us mm-hmm. Um, and the basically the biggest thing I tell them is like, listen to women and believe them mm-hmm. and support them. And if there's a way that you can help them do so. Yeah. But you have to listen. And I had a conversation with a couple of friends a week ago where they were talking about Wonder Woman and how it's just changed the game totally for women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if what followed from that is any indication, it's that the patriarchy is still alive and well, and that we have a lot more, we have a lot more to go. Mm-hmm. but they were just so adamant that this had been such a game changer. And 
they just basically talked over me until we moved on to something else. <laughs> and it's like, no, when a woman is telling you something, it's not your place to tell her something else. Well, also, like, I kind of, like, in my brain, I like to think about it in terms of, like, racial stereotypes as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be an ally as a white person of privilege, like, you can't speak for or, like, question the authority of someone's experience that you've never had. Absolutely. And so I think that's where it becomes hard. I know with the conversations that I have with my men, the men in my life is, like, they want to be authorities on the experience, and it's hard for them to admit that they aren't. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect and when we say you need to listen and you need to believe women, you need to trust them as the authority. If we tell you when we walk into a room, we're feeling an energy. Someone says something to us. We have to go down the street and it is uncomfortable. Like you need to believe them. And I think that's where it becomes the conversation of what it is to be an ally gets confused because men think that they're if they use their voices um to a certain capacity like sometimes they do it to speak over Mm -hmm. you and that's obviously not part of the conversation and it's funny for dream girl screenings if we have you know 200 people in the room and 199 of them are women the first person that asks a question at a screening every single time 10 out of 10 is a man he wants to speak up and he wants to talk and he wants to share his allyship what he should be doing in that situation is listening to the women in his life And saying, how can I learn from this situation? I am not the expert here. Um, This is not my time to take up space here. How can I listen and hear from these women's experiences? And usually when I'm at screenings now, I tell them they they cannot speak first. You're not going to dictate the conversation. Because that's not what we're here for. We're here to continue to share and bring space to women in dialogue. Um, But it's, it's hysterical. Yeah, I know. And it's and I don't mean to say that they're taking up space in, as a way of being malicious or as a way of being domineering or, you know, no, they're naturally kind of, told that their opinions are important and that they matter. And so they're it's they're gendered to do so. And they also feel like, you know, that they're entering into the conversation with good intentions. For and sure. that's like definitely what's going on in most cases. But, yeah, I feel like if there's anything that's going to bring both sides into the conversation, it's it's listening. Mm-hmm. And and that's a really big piece of it. And I think that. Circling back to the crown, <laughs> um, the conversation she has with Philip at the end where, you know, she says to him, like, are you kidding? Like, without going into so many words, she's like, are you kidding me? You haven't you haven't been a part of my life. You've been completely absent from the decisions I've been making, from the children I've been giving birth to, from mm-hmm. the leadership position that I've having been having to take. And it's in that moment that he finally goes, oh, Oh, like you think he has small, an aha? Small. No, no, no. It's not as big as an aha, but he mm-hmm. does. There is this kind of resolution. And I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know if this actually happened um, where they kind of decide to go at it together mm-hmm. and that we're in this marriage. Divorce is not an option. And we have to kind of just keep figuring out how we're going to stay on track. Yeah, I also thought Princess Margaret's relationship when we found out that guy was cheating on her was like, ah, they all suck. Horrible. I was like, another one of these just. And they get divorced. Uh, well, I'm sure they do. He seems like an asshole. Yeah, he's not great. He's no. not great at all. When they have that scene and he's like, don't bore me. And she's like, don't hurt me. I was like, oh, my God, let's just kill ourselves. This yeah. is going to end badly. Like, what a line. How you want to be entering into all relationships. <laughs> oh, that was so hard. You are here for my entertainment. Hard and to watch. I know that you're going to hurt me. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was hard. Yeah. Tough. Tough season, too. Yeah. I still liked it. 
I still thought it was worth dipping into. Yeah, I think it's I think it's worth watching, but I think it's something Go in lightly. Yeah. Go in lightly. This is not season one, but I think Claire Foy is definitely worth watching. Her relationship yeah. with Philip is interesting. He I think he is such a good actor. Yeah, um, Matt Smith is ready to you, get the hell out of this. You mentioned show. that he hated this role. I think, you know, he's never actually been like, I hated this role. Thanks so much, Netflix, for ruining my life. It's yeah, like yeah. The way that he talks about, he has such a disdain for the mm. monarchy. Interesting. And he has such a, he does not talk about them with a lot of reverence. Is and he a lot of British? Like, mm-hmm. I want to do a to deep dive on him. Interesting. Um, so it's kind of self-loathing? No, I think it's that he, I think he's very far from the character. And I think he felt like, it took a huge toll upon him to step into Philip's shoes mm. because it's so far from him. Yeah. And I think it, it kind of hurt him That's to like have to do it. Isn't it cr- so crazy what actors do? They really put themselves through the ringer. Yeah. Like, on like a, a daily basis. <laughs> what a bizarre space to like, you know, have to embody and step into and be like people who sometimes are like can or can be quite destructive or quite separate from your own person. Like, I wonder if there's, well, we do have to have an actor on here. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah. But like, if there's some kind of cleansing, like how do they remove themselves at the end of the day from, like, I remember hearing Michelle Williams talk about doing, I think it was, is it Blue Valentine a movie? Mm -hmm. And like how when she took the train home. (laughs) It's Blue Valentine a movie. She would take the train home and like that was her time to clear. That like by the time she got from New York to Connecticut, like then she could be, but she needed that hour to decompress from that really destructive which is a movie i have not seen but oh, i love was very time. interested in her process yeah brian cranston in his book which is a great book it's called a life in parts um you really connected with him Diana. oh man i really love <laughs> brian cranston if he ever wants to come in the glass door is open um i love that man and he, so when he was playing walter white i mean obviously it's it's such an intense role and that's a long role too they were on for so Six long years, yeah, yeah. And what he would do is, um, you know, he's like, I have a life outside of this. I'm Brian outside of this. I have a wife. I have a daughter. Like, I can't come home and be Walter White. Like, Mm -hmm. that is unacceptable. And I know my wife will not let me through the front door. Yeah. (laughs) Not happening. So he really had to figure out a way to, like, divest himself of this character. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is he, they would film for, like, eight to 13 hours a day like it was long shoots mm-hmm. and at the end of the day you go into his trailer and his makeup artist would give him like a steaming hot towel mm. and he would put it on his face yeah count to 10 and then wipe all of his makeup off yeah yeah and that was it and he would drive home and he and was like he it was such a ritual it was such a like he knew what that was he mm-hmm. knew no matter what had happened on set that day didn't matter you leave it at set i love that i Let's all get hot towels and put them on our heads. <laughs> that's what we're going to do after this podcast. It really takes a toll on us. <laughs> I was thinking that's something that like I really like the ritual of putting makeup on and like getting ready for an event and like getting glam for an event. And that's a space where I'm like, OK, now I'm stepping into, you know, having to be on stage. And I was thinking like removing that is such a powerful way to like wash it off. Yeah, there's a great scene on how to get away with murder where Viola Davis takes yeah. off all of her makeup and her wig. <sighs> Love that scene. Oh, Viola. You know they're doing an Olivia Pope crossover. I know. I've been waiting for a TV show to do this for many moons. I'm surprised they haven't, considering they're all in the same space. And I guess Olivia Pope is going to represent 
Viola Davis's character for like a fix it situation. Um, I follow Peter Nowak, I believe is the create or one of the writers or producers. And he posted like a piece of dialogue where like, it's like Olivia Pope says, you know, I'm not here to fix it. I'm here to blah, blah, blah. And, you know, doing her a whole white glove, white hat thing, which will be fun. God bless those two women. I love Carrie Washington and Viola She's Davis. She's like the most beautiful person. She really is. She really, really is. Her and um, the girl from um, Blackish, the daughter. Oh, yeah. I heard that she's... She's starting her own show called Grownish, yeah. which I'm going to check out. And she was on... Um, she's so beautiful, her face. It's like yeah. the perfect shape. She's also like going to Harvard. I'm sure she is. And Michelle Obama wrote one of her recommendation letters. Shut the front door. <laughs> Let that sink in. What? Yes, she was on... Um, the the late show the daily show she was on the daily show that's the coolest thing i've ever heard in my life and she's just a queen wow amazing amazing i love it what else are you uh looking forward to uh in the media space i, I feel like that. i had like a hot scoop for us about like a new show or something and i can't figure out where i put it i have a hot scoop what's your hot scoop have you seen the trailer for mama mia too no Get into it. <laughs> My God, what a what a intense pause. You so Mamma Mia is a film that holds a very special place in my heart. It stars Meryl Streep, Pierce Brosnan, Colin Firth, Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> it's just the whole game. Are gang. they bringing everybody back? Everybody's back. Wow. And can I just drop a bomb here for a second on air? Please do. Cher plays Meryl Streep's mother. Yes. Share, ladies and gentlemen, singing ABBA in Greece. Ugh, Everyone is way too tan. The bronzer budget for this film must have been through <laughs> the roof. And I literally cannot for wait. Everyone. Oh, my God. I got, like, full body goosebumps when I watched this trailer. Wow. What a shocker. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, you know what my hot tip was? What is it? Um, I was listening to RuPaul's podcast, and, oh, my God, I can't remember who was on it. But anyway, they were saying that, <laughs> God damn it, I'm not going to be able to remember her name, but they're doing like a Santa Claus situation where this is the plot. It's like a Christmas movie. It's with, um, who's the girl from Pitch Perfect? Anna Kendrick? Yes. Anna Kendrick is Santa Claus's daughter. And Santa Claus, something happens to Santa Claus and her, her older brother's supposed to be like take over uh-huh. and he can't do it. And Tim she has Allen. to like, and Tim Allen isn't available. And she has to like step in and like, and somebody really fun is in this movie who's, who I don't know, but it's a great cast. It's like a super fun, like people from SNL are in it. It seems really cute for next year. Also, if we're going to riff off of that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look up the Nutcracker and the Four Realms is coming out next Christmas. Do you think that's really going to be good? I literally cannot wait. Are you sure? Kira Knightley is the Sugar Plum Fairy. Has there been a better cast in I history? I really love Kira Knightley. Sorry. Do you love Karen Knightley? I feel like the balloon just went. <laughs> Do you love her? I don't. Yeah, of course I love her. Really? Okay. I don't know where I was starting with that first sentence. <laughs> Billy Eichner's in it. I just don't like Billy Eichner. What? I like Billy on the street. I'm I obsessed. hate difficult people. <sighs> That's your problem. I it's mean, so good. is it? Yeah, I love that show. That you love so the show like or do you love about, him? It's all about pop culture. I love her. I love her relationship with her husband, that she doesn't do anything. He makes her food all the time. I like their dogs. I like everything about it. 
I loved the cast. I loved her mother. Tina Fey plays like a drunk. No, that's the other. That's Kimmy Schmidt. Never. Mind. Yeah, I was like Tina Fey has Tina no Fey, part of difficult no, people. She does. She um, she plays a TV producer. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I like difficult people. Ken, have you seen it? Did you like it? There you go. I think the acting is like the worst I've ever seen. Oh boy. Anyways. Cher is playing Meryl Streep's mother. That is exciting. I know. Cher. Although, how, how much older than Meryl Streep is she? Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. All right. Don't question it. Okay. Buy into the I world. you were going to say she was like her aunt or something, her mother. No, she shows up at the Cher end of the trailer. Cher should be like her sister. Oh, my God. <laughs> she shows up at the end of the trailer, and Amanda Seyfried's like, Grandma? She's like, <gasps> I did. nobody did you invited in you. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I tag you in like eight things a day. Yeah, yeah. Kent tagged us in something. Some love and basketball thing that Chris Brown is in that a man is directing. Yeah, he tweeted me. What is it? Do you Chris know what Brown it is? is getting jobs again? In a women's empowerment movie. Yeah. Let that sink in. I, don't I think it's like it. a love and basketball-esque kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's directed by... It was a guy. Like, it's a women's empowerment movie that's directed by a man and has Chris Brown as a lead. This is horrifying. Like, this is problematic. This is difficult news. (laughs) (laughs) Not great. So, everyone, don't look out for that. Nick Cannon's going to write and direct the basketball film She Ball. Holy hell. (sighs) Nick Cannon. Who cares? Moving right along. Yeah, moving on. Anything else on your radar? That's it. I need to see the post, I guess. Yep. Need to do that. Um, what else is? I feel like a lot of new movies are coming out that I'm excited about. It's just Mamma Mia two for me. Yeah. And then I'm tucking it in on 2018. Then you're done. <laughs> you're gonna end with Mamma Mia. <laughs> oh no! I guess I have to stick around for the Nutcracker. But all right, so I'm in it for the long haul. And Wrinkle in Time. Oh, as our as Aaron. we just wait with bated breath, we're just we're really just existing until March eighth. Durr. I cannot wait. I literally cannot wait. I know. My heart beats for that film. Yeah. It has no hope of standing up for it. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, it's but did you, you sent me today on Instagram the, the voiceover of Oprah. And Oprah's like, I can't believe I get to say these words. I can't be believe I get to be here. Oh, it's so good. Oprah is like hashtag grateful to Ava Durkin. <laughs> like that's what's going Their on. Their friendship is means a lot to me. <laughs> I know. I wonder if Gail King feels a little like replaced no they're all in it together i don't know i don't know okay (laughs) all right i don't think i think gail is so chill i've seen gail speak before and she is like so chill and so happy and so like she's so real she would not be threatened by ava not in it not a drop i also feel like what they're doing is so important every single day like they just are really in the work and really like supporting each other in it i think that's beautiful I could see even, was Gail even in that shot that you sent mm-hmm. me? Yep. Yeah, they're all there. Okay, all right, all they're right, all, all right. In. I just had to say something bitchy. Ouch. All right. Well, happy Feminist Wednesday, Diana. Happy Feminist Wednesday, Erin. Bye. Bye. Hey, 
guys. I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in.